Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Lindsay Weitzel, migraine strategist, founder of the Facebook group Migraine Nation and chronic daily migraine survivor. I am here today to welcome you to a super special episode of Heads Up. Today is our 100th episode of our webcast. So thank you so much for joining us today. And I'm really excited to introduce you to someone that has never been on camera here before, but is probably the most important person to heads up. This is Linda Summerfield. Hi, Linda. Hi, Lindsay. And you're the most important person to heads up. Oh, they're very cute. Thank you. <laughs> Linda is our producer. She is our person that makes everything look awesome on Heads Up. She is super important. Um, I send her everything and she just makes it look and sound great. So she is here joining us today to help us through this 100th episode. So uh, welcome, Linda. So let's talk everyone through what we're going to do today. Well, isn't it hard to believe that since February of 2019, you've done 100 episodes of Heads Up? It's super exciting. Uh, we've gotten a lot of information out of there. We've had a lot of fun and we've had a lot of amazing guests. Some of my favorite people have been guests on our webcast. So what are some of your favorite episodes? So um, my favorite episodes, some of them definitely included Don Buse. We talk about such empowering things. Um, I think that my first favorite that comes to mind was when we had the episode where we talked about um, if you don't have, if you have people in your life who just aren't supporting you, uh, if you have migraine or chronic headache, and we talked about uh, what to do and stay feeling empowered and how to deal with those people, whether they're your friends, your family, your coworkers, your boss, we really delve deep in how to stay in that empowered space uh, when that is something you're dealing with. Uh, and we got lots of positive comments on that episode. And, and I think that, I think that that helped a lot of people. So that is the, the first one that comes to mind for me. Let's watch some of it right now. Okay. Don, when I work with people who have migraine and chronic migraine, I feel like oftentimes so much of their energy is being put toward worrying or being concerned with what certain people think of them uh, because of their illness or they feel sad because they may have experienced some sort of rejection due to their migraine disorder or headache disorder, or they may even be experiencing, they may be being bullied a little bit, to be honest. I have, I would even use that word on occasion. I have seen that happen. And I really feel like the energy that goes toward them being concerned or dealing with this in their world um, really should be going toward their healing. And so I often, I spend a lot of time talking about this with them and redirecting this energy toward improving their life as a person with migraine. And so I'd like to know what your experience is in your practice with this. Lindsay, I hear the same thing day after day. Now, as you know, I have two roles or more mm -hmm. that I love. One is a researcher right. where I get to gather data from thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people living with migraine. The other is a psychologist where I speak one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. And I hear the same thing, whether we ask 10,000 people or one person, we hear the same thing. So migraine is very stigmatized. We know that from U.S. data, 
We know that from European data. If you're ever interested, the European studies like the Eurolite study talk about how people feel stigmatized from 11 different countries in Europe. Mm-hmm. Their spouses don't understand, their coworkers don't understand, they try and minimize it. We hear the same thing from the Cameo study from thousands of people. Again, people live with guilt, shame, yes. embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Now, our listeners know or if they don't, we're going to make sure they know this is a biologic disease with a genetic predisposition that works on neurotransmitters in your brain. Mm -hmm. This is not something of personal weakness. It's not a personality flaw and it's not a way to get out of doing things we don't want to do. Right. We all know that we all agree, but you know, before I started working in migraine, so more than 20 years ago, I actually probably couldn't tell you what it actually was. Mm -hmm. I think in popular culture, we often use the term migraine as a bad headache or even just something annoying. If we think Mm -hmm. about movies or if we think about news headlines, migraine is very much misused. So let's start by giving people the benefit of the doubt. Maybe friends and family coworkers don't actually know what migraine is. If they've never had it, don't have a family member with it, may may not know of the symptoms beyond headache. They may not know of the severity of the head pain or all the disability, the sensory to light, sound, nausea, potentially vomiting, Vomiting. the Mm -hmm. fuzzy headed cognitive difficulties that come with migraine. So the right place to start when possible is education. Mm. And It's probably different if you're talking to uh, a parent, talking to a toddler, if you're someone talking to a spouse or even someone you're dating or interested in versus a coworker or a boss or your HR department, Mm -hmm. you'll probably use different language and different descriptions, but start with me, I, the I statements. Mm -hmm. When I have a migraine attack, it can last for multiple days, right? It's severe head pain. Plus, I feel that light hurts so bad I have to put on sunglasses and my head hurts when I sit up from the bed and it's hard to move around and it's hard to think. Start by describing those things to people so that they can start to get on the same page. Mm-hmm. Maybe you have family members, friends who you even want to bring to one of your doctor's appointments or to learn by, for example, watching this podcast or right. looking at other webinars or educational resources to learn. People close to you want and need to know more. Exactly. And so that's a good place to start is by educating. So we're all on the same page and communicating. Well, a question people often ask is, when should I tell about my diagnosis and how much should I tell? Right. And in a lot of situations, um, I like what you said when you said, don't hide it, be open about it, be direct and straightforward. And it's a good idea to talk about what might happen, your diagnosis, what your general treatment is early on before anything significant happens before it impacts work before you miss a deadline or before you have mm-hmm. um, something that is, you know, affects your um, kind of standing within the company. Same thing. I always say to college students, you know, go turn in your letter to the office of disabilities during orientation week, not mm-hmm. after you've missed the final. So Very get this in early talk about accommodations, what your needs are early And talk about your plans of how to work around challenges, work around attacks, um, 
early on so that all those plans are in place in advance. It's a lot easier to work proactively than to have had challenges and problems and being trying to fix them later, especially if the boss didn't know about your diagnosis. Mm -hmm. She or he may have no idea what's going on and not know how to help. Don Buse does such an amazing job. And so we have her on quite often. And so the next thing that comes into my mind is the episode we did with her on resilience. And I think that that is such an important word, such an important concept for people with chronic headache or chronic migraine. And she did such a great job of defining it, um, telling us how to be resilient. And so that's another one of my favorite episodes. So while we're talking about Dawn, I definitely, that's one that jumps into my head. Let's watch. Okay. I I started my career in breast cancer and I like to think about the difference between breast cancer and migraine and just think for a minute, uh, breast cancer patients are seen as warriors and people with migraine or chronic pain are often seen as weak or anxious, right? Um, there's a marker for breast cancer. There's no identifiable marker for, uh, for migraine. We can't show you that there's something in our blood that says, oh, we have this bad of a migraine today, right? Um, the world knows breast cancer is serious, and a lot of people just don't understand or even care about migraine, and loved ones gather around and support people with breast cancer, and our loved ones might shun us right? If we have migraine. And so what I try to get people to understand is to embody this breast cancer mentality. And I do believe that once you get used to doing stuff like that, seeing yourself this way, seeing yourself stronger for the disease you have, um, I do believe people do treat you a little differently. And so this is something that I try to get people to, to take on. And, and you will see that people start to respond to you differently. Don't start to cower and feel down if you feel like someone isn't understanding you or your disease. Stand strong and, and see yourself that way. And I, I think that that is, is really important. That's a great point. And even when you're talking just now, you have this body language of kind of feeling like you're apologizing and you're right. sorry and you're feeling guilty as opposed to I am this warrior who is resilient, who has been knocked down and keeps getting back up and a very different way of thinking about it. I completely agree that someone living with a chronic painful condition is a warrior who keeps getting knocked down and gets back up. Right. And you absolutely have every right to feel proud of that, to feel proud in yourself mm-hmm. and to model that in your relationships, you know, to let your, your coworkers and your spouse and your kids and your family members know that, yes, you overcome painful challenges and disability and hurdles to do what you do and to get it done. Um, and that changing not only the way they see you, but the way you see yourself is the right yes. place to start. Lindsay, I know there are so many episodes to choose from. Do you have any other favorite episodes or another favorite guest? Yes. Um, So I think that the other um, most exciting thing we've done with with Heads Up, with the webcast, with the podcast, is um, a more medical thing. So so with with Don Buse and some of the um, episodes that are empowering, I think that's super exciting, super fun. But then there's this uh, medical educational component that we have have managed to pull off um, and and teach people some really important things about the different types of headache and the diagnoses, et cetera. And that's been super rewarding because there are certain episodes 
people have called us or written in or made comments um, that they watched the episode and then went to their doctor and ended up with a different diagnosis. Or sometimes they even took the episode to their physician and then ended up with a different diagnosis. And that's been really exciting and really rewarding. So I would say that uh, right off the bat, two of my favorite episodes for that reason, because I think we had a lot of comments and calls um, in that area related to that, that, oh, I found out this is what I had, would be intracranial hypertension or high pressure headache, and then also the low pressure headache episode, which are sort of opposites. But those are the two where people were like, oh my goodness, uh, I went and talked to my doctor up about this after these episodes. Um, so those were both with Dr. Vince Martin, and those uh, seem to be pretty life-changing for a lot of people. So those pop into my head when you ask that question. Let's watch. We have a couple clips from those two episodes. So let's okay. So what are the symptoms of, of intracranial hypertension? What does it feel like? What happens when someone has this? Well, the interesting thing is it pretty much mimics a, a migraine. So um, it, it's very, very difficult to distinguish a headache of intracranial hypertension from migraine. So consequently, the diagnosis can often be missed. Um, the headaches are often um, on both sides of the head. They can be behind the eyes. They can be in the back of the neck. They can be associated with nausea, sensitivity, light noise. Hence, you can see that they have a lot of characteristics of migraine. But uh, there are a couple of differences. One is uh, the headaches tend to be worse when, when patients bend over, particularly if they uh, lean forward or really bend over far. Mm -hmm. They tend to be worse in the morning, oftentimes. They tend to be worse when you bear down, cough, sneeze, or with strenuous activity. Sometimes that can bring on a headache um, as well. The headaches can also be associated with other symptoms, like they can, they can have... Uh, what we call vis visual obscurations. That means you can get blurred vision. Maybe when you lean forward, in worst case scenario, you, you might lose your eyesight if it's left untreated. And then um, rarely you can get, or not rarely, you can also get ringing of the ears um, as a side effect as well. So it's not just headaches that, that, that occur with this, with this disorder. So let's discuss uh, what a low pressure or low volume headache is. Well, people often describe low pressure headaches as headaches that get worse when they stand up and better when they lie down. Uh, and we, in medical terms, we call that orthostatic headaches. Orthostatic just means standing up, worse standing up, better lying down. Mm -hmm. But there can also be other symptoms. For example, some patients may state that the only time they're completely headache free is when they wake up in the morning because sometimes you have to remain lying down for a prolonged time period before mm -hmm. the headache actually goes away. Mm -hmm. And another subtle symptom might be that your headaches are, are pretty good in the morning, but then as the day goes on, as you've been up longer periods of time, you've been standing more, the headaches actually tend to worsen. And what that usually indicates when there's a very convincing history is there, there could be a leak of spinal fluid. Okay. Well, let's talk for a second about what causes a leak of spinal fluid. I know that I've seen people who had uh, spinal taps or spinals done or some sort of anesthetic procedure where they will develop a leak. Uh, what are all the reasons or how, how does this happen to us? Well, you mentioned the most common cause that would be a spinal tap. So if you put a needle 
through that sac that houses the spinal fluid, mm-hmm. then sometimes there can be a leak. Or if you have an epidural, say for pregnancy, normally that needle doesn't go through the sac, but sometimes it, they'll just go a little bit too far and create a leak. Those are the most obvious ones. But many people have a genetic condition that causes the that sac to have to be more elastic than other people and more likely to tear. Mm-hmm. And those people often have a disorder called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Another name for it is hypermobility syndrome or Marfan syndrome. So they, they have a genetic reason why that sac is more likely to tear and break. Mm-hmm. In addition, patients who have spinal procedures where they actually have to go through the, the sac may have a leak afterwards. Um, or if you have a spinal cord stimulator place, that, that'll go through the sac and also that you can have leaks from that as well. And they can be pretty subtle. You know, patients may have these leaks for even decades and not know it. Like, uh, say, for example, a woman whose headaches begin right after pregnancy and they have an epidural and they'll have these headaches, many of which can resemble migraine, but they have a positional component. And then this can go on for years. And then you finally uh, find out what the problem is and the headaches can can go away. Right. Well, let's let's talk about that really quick. Uh, can can a low pressure headache that goes on for a long time mimic migraine or can it maybe even occur along with migraine? Uh, can, can that happen? Does it happen? Well, they can either occur in isolation without migraine. And in that case, it's probably a little, a little bit more obvious. But the reality is that in most cases, patients have both migraine and low pressure headaches, but they just haven't really put the, you know, made the connection yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the headaches of, that are low pressure tend to be more commonly localized in the back of the head. And, uh, but they can have all the same symptoms of migraine. So they can get sensed to be light, right. noise, and nausea. So they can be very difficult to differentiate. Um, and many doctors don't even ask about the positional component of the headache, so they right. can be missed. All right. Another, another one that um, I think of when I think of um, really helping people out medically, I love our medical version of our cluster headache episode. There is so little information out there on cluster headache. Um, anytime we can do anything um, on cluster headache, because it is so debilitating and so painful, I find that so important. So we did an episode with Vince Martin on cluster headache that was quite popular. Um, and I like that both because it gives the, the people who have cluster headache um, it, it, it gives them something, it makes them feel validated. It, it, you know, gives them their information, but I always just hope that people out there without cluster headache who don't understand cluster headache will watch it. So I really love that episode a lot. Right. You know, it's interesting because the third highest viewership we have is for one of the episodes on cluster headache. And so these are so important in getting information out to the community. So let's watch that one. Yes. Can you describe to us, Dr. Martin, what cluster headaches are, or at the very least, uh, how people who get them describe them? Well, cluster headaches are one of the most severe forms of pain that anyone can possibly experience. So they're a very, very important headache type. They have a very characteristic location in most patients, although it does, it's not true for every patient, but they more, most commonly occur Um, behind the eye, around the eye, in the forehead and temple. So it's kind of in this location here. Tends to be a generally a 10 over 10 pain. Um, I mean, rarely people can have less severe pain, but the the typical one is very severe pain. Mm 
And it also has these symptoms called cranial autonomic symptoms. These are symptoms where patients get activation of one part of their autonomic nervous system. And you can get uh, tearing the eye. You can get running of the nose. You can also get the eyelid can droop and the pupil can constrict um, as well. And the headaches um, have a characteristic duration. They're much shorter than migraines. So they last anywhere from 15 minutes up to three hours. And generally between these attacks of cluster, the the patients are completely headache free. Mm -hmm. So you might have anywhere from one to eight of these episodes per day. I can't imagine having eight um, attacks of some of the worst pain that you can possibly experience, but it does happen in some individuals. So it's interesting that you mentioned the um, one of the cluster headache episodes being our third highest viewed episode, because that was one of the ones I was going to bring up next. We did another cluster headache episode where we wanted the patient view. Uh, we wanted to hear from someone who experienced regularly experienced cluster headache. And so I interviewed Ashley Heddle Clemenshaw, who is this lovely, lovely person and an amazing cluster headache advocate. And um, that was our third highest viewed episode, which I think is awesome since cluster headache is not that common as, you know, it's not, I don't think it gets searched as often as migraines. So I thought that was awesome, that that was our third highest viewed episode. It was a lovely episode. And she um, showed the mask that people with uh, cluster headache need to use to use their oxygen, to breathe their oxygen. Um, she talked about the flow rate, et cetera. She gave all this information. I thought it was an amazing episode. What I remember from that, besides her doing such an amazing job, was the amount of engagement we got after we put those out there, the number of comments from people, the heartfelt comments of gratitude for finally seeing their condition being shown you know, in this episode of Heads Up. They were just so grateful for the information and seeing somebody that's going through what they're going through. Right. I, I love that. I think it's very heartwarming. And again, I feel like it's so important to get that out there for such a debilitating condition that has so little information out there in the world. So that made me very happy and I I hope it made everyone else happy. So uh, can you explain oxygen therapy uh, and why this is correct and why cluster patients do this and where you do it, et cetera? Yeah. So oxygen is actually the most effective treatment and the first line treatment. So for me, it was very frustrating that it took me six years to get it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the issue that some doctors and oxygen suppliers and insurance companies have is that we need a high flow. It can't be an oxygen concentrator. It can't be a nasal cannula. It has to be a high flow with a non-rebreather mask. Mm -hmm. You have to hyperventilate on it. What is the flow rate that is needed for someone with a cluster headache? At least 12 to 15 liters per minute. I have a smaller tank that goes up to 25. Okay. And some people, some doctors worry about oxygen toxicity, but we're, unless you have a pre-existing lung condition, it's not an issue. And we're using it for less than 20 minutes at a time. Okay. And do a lot of people with cluster have a tank like you have behind you in their house? Oh, yes, because this attack, this tank may last me 10 to 12 attacks. Okay. My worst, I can have four attacks a day. Okay. This big one is maybe going to last four days at my worst. Okay. 
And does your insurance company pay for your oxygen? No. Okay. Uh, which is very frustrating because there are 250 published studies on oxygen and cluster headaches. Right. And still, it's not covered. Right. So the, the last one that pops into my head for the amount of time we have that I was super proud of um, was a uh, episode we did with Dr. Jan Brandis, and it was on menstrual migraine, menstrually related migraine. And that topic is our second most popular topic um, on the podcast. And I think it's so important. (laughs) I think that if you are a a female, especially a young female who is newly battling, um, chronic migraine or even highly episodic migraine, and you have menstrual related migraine thrown in on top of that, it, it is just debilitating and such a huge problem. And if there's something you can do about at least that component of your migraine disorder, fabulous. So Dr. Brandis came on, talked about what those two diagnoses are, some of the things you can do about it. And it gave really great tips that were practical that you could go talk to your doctor about. Um, and, and so I thought that was so helpful and it was extremely popular. So I was really, really proud of that episode. And, and I think Dr. Brandis was too. So I love that one. So she's one of my favorite guests that you've had on. She does an amazing job. Let's watch her on the menstrual migraine episode. Okay, great. Um, is it different when you're treating someone who just has menstrual migraine right around the time of menstruation um, from someone who has chronic migraine or, or migraine at other times? Um, do you treat them differently or the same? Well, I think there are elements that really are separate depending on if it's pure menstrual migraine. So if someone only has attacks around the menstrual cycle, you may be able to treat them with just acute therapy, migraine-specific, perhaps with an anti-inflammatory drug added, mm-hmm. or you may be able to treat them with something called short-term menstrual migraine prevention, where you start a medication, dose it two or three times a day, the day before the menstrual migraine typically starts, and then you continue it every day probably a day after the menstrual migraine is likely to occur. So okay. those would be two traditional strategies. Okay. If someone only is, is predominantly being treated around the menstrual cycle. Well, let's delve into that since you started a little more deeply. So if someone purely has menstrual migraine, what is the best approach uh, to start with in your opinion? I believe that when we talked previously, you had sort of a three-pronged approach to attacking that. Well, again, because most menstrual migraine that comes to us in clinic or outpatient settings is typically severe and Mm -hmm. can be longer in duration. So typically we would say, or we would recommend a high dose non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug that might Mm -hmm. be something like naproxen sodium, which has been studied in menstrual migraine, Mm -hmm. and then a tryptan or another migraine specific therapy. And again, it might be injectable, nasal spray, tablet, depending on the severity when the attack started. And then something that would help control nausea if that's a prominent part of the attack. And the idea is that 
an individual, the, the person with migraine would treat as soon as possible. If they have premonitory symptoms like yawning or food cravings, they would treat start treating then. If they have aura, they would start treating at the aura. Or if they started with headache, they would start immediately when the headache started and then could redose on the basis of their response to that. Okay. So they're taking all three of those things at once. Um, an anti-inflammatory, the tryptan, and the anti-emetic or something to treat the nausea all at once is sort of what you're getting across there, right? That would be a first step. If that doesn't work, then you could move to what you alluded to earlier, the short-term prevention therapy. And there are three drugs that have been studied pretty intensively there. One that has the best evidence is frovitriptan. That's a long duration or has a long half-life and uh, it has the longest half-life of any of the triptans. Mm -hmm. And that drug has been studied in difficult-to-treat women for menstrual migraine. Mm -hmm. Another drug, naratriptan, has been studied. There's less data, smaller trial. And then naproxen sodium has actually been looked at by an Italian group. And you start those meds before the onset of the period. So you might start it two days before your menstrually associated attack and then take it for five days or even six days. Um, to wait until the estradiol is going back up so that you've really treated or you've put them on a short-term prevention around the time they were vulnerable. So, Lindsay, you've done 99 of these episodes so far. There must have been some sort of something going haywire or a snafu at some point. Do you have any funny moments that you can talk about from the past (laughs) 99 episodes? Everything goes haywire. I, I, everyone you know, screws up the way they talk. I think that uh, one of my, for whatever reason, symptoms, whenever I'm about to get a migraine or if I'm working through a migraine, I don't talk right. And I just come out and say it. I'm sorry. I don't speak well when I'm not feeling well. And um, so I have some ridiculous bloopers. It seems that the thing I have the worst time with is the intro. I am often starting the intro over because I cannot introduce the person well, because that's the part of the intro that changes all the time, where mm-hmm. they're where they're from, what their title is, who they work for, et cetera. Um, so I have I have times where you can even see in my face that I'm like, dear God, um, I can't believe I screwed that up again. <laughs> and so, um, yes, I, I, I don't speak well a lot of the time. And that is just part of who I am. And I roll with it and I tell everyone else so that they can roll with it. And that is let's watch some. <laughs> let's watch some of your bloopers. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to. Hello, everyone. Oh, sorry. I'm Dr. Lindsay Weitzel. Uh, today. Hello, Dr. Martin. Hi. How are you doing this evening? It's a great day to be alive. We're stopping. You, like so many of us, you're a working mother. Does that ever get in the way of your program, um, your recording? Do you have any stories to tell? Yes. So uh, my kids usually play. We have an attic playroom that's directly above where I record. And they have to play very quietly. And they're almost always there while I'm recording. So hopefully no one notices. Uh, They have done some random things like accidentally let the dog out. And as I don't know if you remember, we had to re-record our first episode because the dog got out and was barking. 
So that was one problem. Um, they have set the alarm on my phone accidentally and it went off during episodes. I have never had that happen. Oh no! <laughs> uh, my daughter does help me set up though. She's the one that helps me set up the microphone, et cetera. So we should probably thank her someday for, for her work for Heads Up. <laughs> Is there anything you've learned from doing all of these episodes? Oh, I've learned so much. I, everything I've learned so much about the medicines, the episodes with Tim Smith, whenever a new medicine comes out, we learn those, we get that information so quickly because of what Tim does for a living. So I learned that information so fast. And that that's the first thing that comes to my head. Um, the things I learned from Vince Martin, uh, having practiced as long as he's practiced with the with the unique viewpoint that he has is really amazing. Uh, when we do episodes on, on how to um, work with people who just have not ever found a medication that helps them. Um, his viewpoint is amazing. Uh, we bring in people from all the latest headache meetings and, you know, and since we only have, you know, what one podcast a week, I can't do them all at once, but we stretch them out. And so we are interviewing people. And I don't know if, if everyone understands that who are telling us the latest thing that was um, presented at the latest headache meetings. So I could never really even just answer that. I learned so much from doing this podcast and webcast because I'm learning all the latest and greatest things in the field of headache medicine. Well, on behalf of the National Headache Foundation, Lindsay, we thank you for the amazing job you've done these 100 episodes. We thank all of the extraordinary guests that you've been able to bring to the show. And most importantly, we thank the audience because, yes. you know, over 250,000 people are watching the show. And so, um, we're so grateful to everybody. We are grateful. Thank you everyone for watching. And we hope you've learned as much as we have. And we always want to hear what you want to hear. Always put in the comments, uh, communicate with us somehow what you want to hear so that we can get it on, um, the, get it on the episodes. Send us an email anytime, info at headaches.org. Thank you for watching everybody. Thank you. And join us for the next episode of Heads Up.